The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Tonight, if you would turn to the sixth chapter of the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me set the stage for you here, and then I want to take just a couple of verses as our text. What happened is that, uh, what, what's going on at this time, is that the, uh, the Syrians have come upon Israel. Now at this time, the nation of Israel is divided. There's the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And the king of Syria goes up against Israel. And Elisha the prophet is living at this time and prophesying to the people of God. And everywhere the, the nation, everywhere the armies of Syria go, the children of Israel, the armies of Israel are already gone. And, and so the king calls a little powwow of his, of his people and says, I want to know, I want to know who is, who is our spy. <laughs> so I, I, want to, I want you to tell me which one of y'all is spying for Israel. And, and they tell him, it's not us, Lord, it's, it's Elisha the prophet. And, and in verse 12 it says, Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Which is another message altogether. We could take, the Lord knows all. <laughs> The Lord is able to, you know, we, we get all, I, I appreciate Brother James's prayer for our nation. And I get all worked up about our nation. We need to pray for our nation. But did you know that God turneth the heart of the kings as the rivers of the waters? Uh, we're not talking about some kind of absolute predestination here. We're talking about the providence of God and also the judgment of God in many ways coming upon a nation. And God has a way of getting his will done, okay? <laughs> Now, but so here we have a man of God who is prophesying. So the king of Syria says, let's find out where he is. And he happened to be in a place called Dothan. And so he sent his army down there. And, and, and the army compassed the city about, the city where the prophet was. And then I want us to look in verse 15. And we'll begin reading there and read about three verses. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, this is Elisha, answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Tonight, I want to preach to you on the topic, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Now this, you know, we're living in, a, in troubled times, are we not? We may not have an army surrounding us here, but don't we often feel surrounded by the enemy? Sometimes the enemy seems to come in like a flood in my life. And when I turn the TV on, I get really uh, upset. I get really anxious when I read about all the problems that are out there in this nation, and not just this nation, the world. We're continually under attack, it seems like, in the land in which we live. But something we, some, we, need, we don't ever need to forget is that our helper is mightier than the enemy. Amen. Our God is greater than those that oppose us. And sometimes we need to have our eyes opened that we might see this. Now it would be great, would it not, if God would open the spiritual eyes of our mind that we might literally see the angels and the spirit world out there that is surrounding us and protecting us. Back in my teenage and early 20s years, um, I read some books by a man named Frank Peretti. Very good books. Frank Peretti, the first book he wrote that I read was called This Present Darkness. Tim knows what I'm talking about. I think he read them too. And what that, there was a fictional account, of course, but he, and it, it 
you know, he, I don't necessarily know that I agreed with all of his theology or even everything in the, in the book, but, but it was, an, it was a, an awesome book from one standpoint in that in this book he wrote about events that were happening, fictional events, but he showed the spirit world that was out there that the people in the, in the book that were uh, living their lives normally couldn't see. In other words, there might be a, there was a preacher in one of the books who was fighting, um, fighting the, uh, the fight against abortion and having struggles. But all through the book, the preacher couldn't see this, but there were angels constantly attending him. There were also demons attacking him. There, were, there was the spirit world out there. And listen, I believe the spirit world is true. There is a spirit world out there that we can't see. Don't ever think that all, you, all there is is what we see with our natural eyes. Now, I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins, but I'm talking about the, the, the armies of heaven and the armies of the enemy. They're out there. In fact, Paul tells us, does he not, that we war not against flesh and blood, but, about, but against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He talks about principalities and powers. He talks about the spiritual warfare we have. There's no spiritual warfare if there's no spiritual world you see. And here we see that there was definitely a spiritual world that the young man who was the servant of Elisha couldn't see with his natural eyes. You know what Elisha said? He said, Lord, just open his eyes. Now, now I don't believe, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe I am. I don't believe Elisha was seeing with those spiritual eyes either. I, think, I don't think he could look out and visibly see what was surrounding them, the, 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 the chariots of fire. But I believe through the eyes of faith, Elisha knew they were there. He might not have understood, he might not have known that there were hundreds of chariots of fire surrounding him and riding around between him and the enemy, but he knew his God was greater than the enemy. See, now, now this is an instance in which God literally opened the spiritual eyes of someone to allow them to see the help that was out there. Now, he doesn't usually do it this way, does he? And, and certainly not today. He doesn't usually do it that way today. I, I'm not, let me, let me say this. I'm not saying there aren't instances. There haven't been instances in some people's lives where they have actually encountered angels or maybe even encountered demons. I, I'm not, I'm not, making a judgment on that. There may be some times in, our, in, in life when, when people run, but that's not the normal way, okay? And that's not the way you should expect to have your eyes opened. Maybe, you know, I, wish he I wish he'd just peel the curtain back sometimes and just give me a little glance. You know, I often think, this is totally off the subject, but I often think that at, at, at the door of death, there are some times when God peels back the curtain and allows that one that's about to cross over into uh, over that Jordan River to see something. I, I, I'll never forget this. I've always, I've always uh, uh, taken great encouragement from the story about our Uncle Gilbert McCool. Uncle Gilbert, who was a staunch Primitive Baptist, member of a Primitive Baptist Church over in Steens, Mississippi area, uh, lived over there for many years and and Uncle Gilbert had gotten to where, to the point where uh, dialysis was no longer an option and there was no hope and see, they just knew it was a matter of time. And just a few hours before he died, he was laying in that bed there and suddenly he hadn't, he hadn't spoken, he hadn't said a whole lot and suddenly he raised both arms and, and shouted out, Hallelujah! <laughs> now, I don't know for sure that he was seeing something glorious, but it sure sounded like it to me. So I don't know. I'm not... This is speculation. I'm just telling you this, though, that I know there's a spirit world. And I know, at least in this instance, God opened the eyes of a young man so he could see it. But let's talk about how God normally opens our eyes. We need our eyes open from time to time, and I believe he still does that today. Our eyes need to be open to understand that even though the enemy comes in like a flood, our God is, a greater, uh, is greater than all the enemies of, the, of, of Satan out there. So how does he do it? Well, certainly the first and most important way is by his Spirit. By his spirit. You know, this is a condition precedent to all other spiritual sight. And what I'm talking about is the way, 
is the way His Spirit comes and borns us again. The new birth is a condition precedent to any kind of spiritual sight. There's not going to be any spiritual sight for any of God's children until they're born again. John chapter 3, Jesus is dealing with Nicodemus. And in verse 3, he says, Nicodemus, he said, uh, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know that you can't see anything spiritually if you don't have spiritual eyes to see with. If you don't have a spiritual nature, you cannot see anything spiritually. The kingdom of God is something spiritual, right? <laughs> he says you can't see it. That is, you can't get it. You can't, uh, it it's, it's not that you can't visibly see the church building. It's not that you can't walk into the church and visibly see the congregation. It's that you're not going to see it spiritually. That is, you're not going to get it unless you've been born again. You can sit in here all day long. You can, you can read the Bible. You can do what, but until you have, you have been born of the Spirit, you cannot see. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You know, that's one of the problems with most theology today that's not grounded on the truths of salvation by grace. They don't understand that life must precede light. You, you ever thought about that? That there can be no light if there's not already life? And in fact, the purpose of the gospel is to bring life to light. <laughs> if you don't already have light, there's no life. If you don't already have life, there's nothing to bring the light. <laughs> you see, I was listening to a message we were on our way up to Brother Ricky Harcrow's church yesterday, and we were listening to a message by Elder Sonny Piles. And he was talking about the fact of the new birth and how that, uh, how that as far back as you can think, you know, some people say, well, I can take you to the time. I can show you the place, you know. The, the exact moment, the exact time when I was born again. I suggest to you that you cannot do that. Because the very time you, you say, well, I remember when I had a happy feeling toward the Lord. I remember when, I was, when the gospel became good news to me. I remember the great joy I felt. That, that Surely that's when I was born again. Let me, let me just say to you, you couldn't have experienced that joy if you hadn't already been born again. You see, you see it just, when a baby cries, when a baby thirsts, when a baby hungers, it's not in order to get born, it's because he's been born. It may have just been 10 seconds earlier. It may be 30 seconds earlier, but, but it's, you cannot pinpoint that time because by the time you feel the joy, by the time you have the desire for Christ, you've already been born or you wouldn't have the desire. <laughs> you've got to have that. By the time you see the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, you've got to have already been born again. Because you can see our vision was so marred by the fall of Adam. It wasn't just, you know, we're not just, we just don't, we don't have just dim vision spiritually because of Adam's fall. We have no vision because of Adam's fall. A dead man cannot see. This not to get too graphic, but just let's suppose we had someone, we were having a funeral. And, and you have the open casket here and someone's laying there in the, in the casket. And someone comes up with a picture and says, hey, look at this, and tries to show it to the dead man. <laughs> you say, boy, something's off for that person. Look at this. Come on, look at it. Look at it. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? You know why? Because a dead man can't see in the realm to which he's dead. He's dead physically. He cannot see in the material, physical realm. You know, over there in the book of uh, Acts, we read about two different heart issues. Two different hearties. In the second chapter of Acts, we read about some people that were pricked in the heart. And you know what they did? They saw something that they needed. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Paul, Peter rather told them, said, you need to get baptized. You need to repent and be baptized. Why? In order to, in order to get a new heart? No, they'd already been pricked in the heart. But you know, Peter could have preached all day long, just like Stephen did over in the 8th chapter of Acts or the 7th chapter of Acts. And without the operation of the Holy Spirit, all they would ever have been, that ever would have happened to them is they would have been cut to the heart. 
You know what happened in the seventh chapter of Acts when they were when Stephen preached to some other people over there and they were cut to the heart? They got so angry at him, they gnashed on him with their teeth and ultimately stoned him to death. Stephen was the first martyr. See, that's the difference in being pricked in the heart and being cut to the heart. Beloved, God has to give God has to do the pricking in the heart. <laughs> it's not the gospel, it's not the preacher. It's the Spirit of God. Open our, so our eyes have to be opened in order to see anything spiritually. But now let's talk about our situation. Because I trust that each of us here tonight have been, have been pricked in the heart. Each of us here tonight have been given that spiritual vision by the Spirit of God. How is it that God opens our eyes as children of God, as his dear children wandering in this wide, wicked world, struggling with the enemy, struggling with the problems of life. Sometimes we need our eyes to be open. Sometimes we're like that little servant and say, what in the world are we going to do? He said, alas, my master, how shall we do? He saw the enemy surrounding him. Sometimes we need our eyes open like this. How does he do it? Well, one way he does it is by, by his word. By his word. You see, he gives us his word, child of God, in order to help us to be able to see some things through the spiritual eyes that we have in the new birth. You know what the word of God will do? The word of God will encourage us. Over in Matthew, the seventh chapter, in the 24th verse, Jesus uh, gives us, he's speaking there on the Mount of Olives, that great, uh, that great, uh, sermon on the mount there and as he brings it down to a close he's told them so many things he's given them the word of God the word of God from the son of God <laughs> and then he says as he sort of wraps it all up down in verse 24 he says therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them I will liken him unto a wise man which built his rock house upon a rock and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I don't know about you, but I often feel like the rain is descending, and the flood is coming upon me, and the wind is blowing upon me, and beating upon my house, and it sometimes seems like my house will fall. And sometimes my house does fall. The house that I have built up on something other than the rock. But the, the beauty of the Word of God and the way He opens our eyes is that He gives us encouragement. He gives us a foundation that we would not otherwise have. There are many children of God struggling in the world who don't have the foundation of the Word of God. They don't have the spiritual vision that's needed. They've been born of the Spirit, so they have the ability, if someone taught them, they would understand, but they don't read the Word of God. They don't build their house upon the rock of the Word of God. Jesus says, if you'll hear my sayings and you'll do what they say, then you'll be like the one that builds upon the rock. But everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Do you notice there was the same events occurred in both cases? The same thing happened to both houses. But the house that was built upon the Word of God, upon the proper foundation, the one that was built upon the rock of Jesus' sayings, stood you say, well, preacher, you just don't know what all I face. Yes, I do, because I face the same things. It may be in different forms. Just, you know, it, you may have a broke leg and I have a broke arm, but they both hurt. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I mean, we can't start comparing. I can't, you know, it's, it doesn't do any good when we're trying to sympathize. Well, yeah, I'm sorry you broke your leg. I broke my arm one time. <laughs> we just cause, you know, you got a broke arm doesn't mean my broke leg feels any better. But, but by the same token, we shouldn't be comparing in a negative way and say, well, you just don't understand. All you, all you did was broke an arm. I broke a leg. Well, listen, it's, it's different circumstances, but it's the same storm. It's the same enemy. It's the same wind that blows. It's the same flood that comes. It's the same rain that descends. And, and if it, the difference is in where the house is built. We build our house on the rock. It'll stand. You build it on the sand. It's not going to stand. See, the Word of God will encourage and undergird us. 
It gives us a foundation. You know why that is? You say, well, why is it? What's so, what's so important about the Word of God? Psalm 119 tells us a little bit about that. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, we're told something important about the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We were talking, Seth and I were talking about a couple of books that we like. Charles Dickens, I like some, one of his books in particular. And we were talking about that. It's a good book. You know, it's got some good stuff in it. I've read some good books, some good novels, some good stories. I've read some good self-help books. I've read some good books that have good philosophy in it. I've had some books that are, that are uh, got some good things in it. But, but I've never read a book that had word, the word in it that was settled in heaven. See, there's a difference in this book and the books that are written by men. I've read some books written by men that turned out to be wrong. I've read some books written by men where there were grammatical errors and there were other kinds of mistakes. I haven't found one yet in the Word of God. Forever, thy, uh, forever O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And even better, let me, let me just take you over to Psalm chapter 12. <laughs> In verse 6, there's something special about the words of God. The words, plural, that's talking about the words written in this book of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Just in case pure is not enough, he's going to show you how pure it is. <laughs> silver tried in, the, in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now look at verse 7. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What's he talking about? He's talking about the words of the Lord. He has preserved them. I believe he's preserved them here in this word. I believe that he is it's something that's certainly settled in heaven and preserved for us that we might be able to build our house upon it. His word, it encourages us. It, it helps us to, to, to have a foundation it gives us hope. Psalm 119 and verse 81, My soul fainteth for thy salvation. Have you ever been in the position where you felt like you were just going to fall out? That, Lord, I need you to deliver me. I need you to, take, I need you to save me in a timely way. I need, I need your salvation here and now, Lord, or I'm going to faint. You know, you know where your help comes most of the time? I know sometimes the Lord supernaturally and miraculously comes in and delivers you. Sometimes he sends a, a friend or a fellow child of God or a fellow church member to encourage you. But most of the time, your hope comes just like it came for David here. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Often, if you come to me, you just expect this. If you come to me. And you need counsel. You need help. You say, I'm struggling, preacher. I'm, I'm down and out. I'm in despair. I don't know which way to go. I feel like the enemy is overflowing me. I feel like I don't have any hope in this world. My first question to you, and I'm not going to be ugly about it. I'm not going to be mean, so don't worry about coming to me. Come to me. I'm going to encourage you in this way. And my first question, though, is going to be, are you studying his word? Are you in the Word? Because, listen, I can give you the Word. I can preach to you the Word. But I only do that for about two hours on Sunday and one hour every other week on Wednesday. You need to be in the Word on a daily basis. I'll tell you this. When I don't go to the Word every day, this despair just kind of builds up. The older I get, it gets worse, Brother Ronnie. I don't know if that's something about getting... I guess it's experience. <laughs> My experience is that the world's getting worse and worse, and I'm getting worse and worse, and so I get more and more in despair, except when I go to the Word of God. That's the only thing that lifts me up. Lifts me up. I hope in thy Word. <laughs> it gives us hope. It gives us hope. It also, I tell you, it also encourages me in troubles, too. You know, sometimes I get to thinking, I guess, I guess I'm selfish, brother buddy. I don't know. I don't deserve this, you know. What, what is, poor me, you know, woe is me. Some troubles come upon me. Why has it always happened to me? I'm old Charlie Brown. That's the way I feel like sometimes. I always thought I was 
Growing up, I identified with Charlie Brown better than any other animated character that I knew of. Here, you know, I didn't have the big head now, but I, but I, but I was, but I identified with him because, uh, because it seemed like the stuff, bad stuff, always happened to me. If it could go wrong, it would go wrong in my life. Verse seventy-one of Psalm one nineteen says, "It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might what." Learn thy statutes. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting statement there because it sure does fit my experience. Now, I haven't always done this. I don't always do this. But when I have done it, it's always been better for me. When I face afflictions, when troubles come upon me, if I flee to the Word of God, I find solace and I find encouragement. If I don't, it just gets worse and worse. And usually, you can ask my family, it gets worse and worse for those around me. Because <laughs> I get worse and worse. And I get more and more down and out. And I get more and more in despair. Poor me, you know. Pretty soon, I'm not Charlie Brown anymore. I'm Eeyore the donkey. <laughs> Brother David shared with us when he was here. Oh, woe is me, you know. But he said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. It doesn't mean the afflictions are good. That's not what he said. He didn't say it was good, that, that the sin that maybe caused the afflictions was a good thing. But he said, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In other words, when I faced affliction, I went to the Word and I learned some hope. I learned some things that encouraged me, that built me up. See, the Word will encourage us. It, it, it enlightens us. It opens our eyes by giving us the encouragement that we need. It also enlightens us just in general. <laughs> look, at, look at Psalm 119 and verse 9. You know, there's a lot of young men here, young ladies here, but this can apply to us old folks too, okay? But it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You ever found yourself doing, going the wrong way, going in the wrong path, and just not having any clue how to get out of the situation? You know, I think, the, I think the prodigal son was kind of in that situation. He got down in the pig pen, and I think he had no idea how to get out of it until he came to himself. You know what he came to? He didn't come to himself thinking up something new. He didn't come to himself in the sense of, well, now I've finally figured it out. I've finally gotten educated enough and smart enough and, and put two and two together enough that I've got a pathway out of this thing. It's a 12-step program. It's a five-step program. It's a 10-step program. I don't know whatever, whatever steps you want to add to He didn't come up with that. You know what came to him? He said, man, I remember the way it was in my father's house. What was he hearing in his father's house? He was hearing the word of God. He was hearing the truth. He was, you know, down in the pig pen, they'll lie to you. They'll lie to you. Down, they lie. How did he get down? Did, did somebody come to that young man and say, man, I want you to come out and party with us and bring all your money that you've inherited. Go get it from your father. Let's go have a big party. We're going to have fun for a little while, but when it's all over with and the famine comes, we're gonna end, you're going to end up down in the hog pen wishing you could eat the hog food. <laughs> you know, the world will show you the beginning of a thing, but it never shows you the end of a thing. Everybody's sitting around... The campfire, drinking Coors Light. Boy, that looks good, doesn't it? Everybody's sitting around uh, enjoying the party. The, the, you, ever, you ever seen any videos? I don't encourage you to look at them. Of these rave parties that they have. It used to be out in California. Now they have them in Alabama. And that's that, it's drug-fueled rave, R-A-V-E, rave parties. They have these, these little uh, light sticks and all these kinds of things, and there'll be, there'll be people there at those parties that are just giving out drugs, and, just, and they get all, and it looks so exciting, loud music booming, and, and lights, and, and flashing lights, and action, and people there, man, it just looks like the coolest thing in the world. But you know what the Coors Light commercial doesn't show? It doesn't show the man who's addicted to alcohol, who's beaten his wife, who has drank himself to death, it doesn't show the young people that are so taken by the drugs that are there at those parties that ends up with them either in prison or in the hospital or worse yet, in the morgue. The world doesn't show you that. 
Nobody showed the prodigal son the pig pen when he started down that path, but the pig pen is where it ends, beloved. Just remember, when the party's over, there's always a famine, and there's always a pigsty somewhere at the end of that path. But you see, the Word of God will tell you something differently. You may be a young person who's stuck in that kind of a path. You don't know where, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. I've, I've met with people. I've seen young folks that had no idea how to, they needed help. They needed to get out of that, and they didn't know how. Here's how. It says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Now, I'm not saying, we're going to talk about it in a minute. I'm not saying you don't need more help than that from, from God's people. But I'll tell you this, beloved. It starts with the word of God. It will enlighten you. It will give you the pathway to freedom. Everybody says, oh, get out from your mama and daddy and get away from them. Get away from that, that old ball and chain. You want some freedom in this world. Beloved, true freedom comes in submitting yourself to the word of God. I don't follow him because <clears throat> I just am stoic and somehow better than everybody else. I try to follow the word of God and follow the Lord because it always works out better for me when I do that. Always works out better. Psalm 119 and 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This sounds like an enlightening kind of thing, doesn't it? This kind of seems like it would help my vision, doesn't it? It makes us be able to see better. What does a lamp do? It causes us to be able to see the pathway in front of us. Now, it doesn't shine all the way to the end of the journey, but it doesn't have to. If you're on a, a, a rocky hillside with a narrow path and a huge drop, a steep drop beside you, you don't have to see the whole path winding around the hillside. You just need to see the path in front of you so that you don't go over the cliff. Guess what the Word of God does? It enlightens your path. It gives you a lamp for your feet so that you can see where you're going. The Word of God will enlighten you. It will open your eyes. It will also empower you. It will empower you to better serve Him. Look at verse 11 of Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. What we do on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights and what you do in your personal Bible study is not just some exercise in, in gaining knowledge uh, just for not gaining knowledge's sake. It's not like going to the university or trying to figure out, you know, just to take a course just so you'll know more. It's, it's in order to help you to be able to deal with the problems of life. By word, when you study his word, you're hiding it in your heart. I encourage you to memorize it, especially you young folks. I'll tell you, it's hard for me to memorize anymore. <laughs> I can't hardly remember my, my I, I see people all the time that I'm supposed to know. I can't, I can't memorize their names. <laughs> I've forgotten their names. But nowadays, uh, uh, is, as I get older, it's harder to memorize. But I encourage you to hide the word in your heart. Memorize it. Put it in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Over in verse 32, look at this. He said, I will run the way of thy commandments. I don't feel much like running most of the time. But I tell you, when, it, when you read the commandments, when you read the word of God, it will, it will empower you to run in the way. It will empower you to, to run and to, and to go in the way that you ought to go. Listen, look at Isaiah chapter 40 just for a minute. This is, this is glorious here. Especially the older I get, the more important this is. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 30. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. Now that, that's encouraging to me, not in the sense of dragging you down. <laughs> but especially when I've been working out lately down at the box with Mason and some of these other young folks that are just going hard at it. And they're, they're wide open and I'm over there just, you know, I'm, by the time the warm-up's over, brother buddy, I'm worn out. <laughs> I feel like the warm-up is the workout. We've just done the warm-up, and we still got the workout to go. And they, here they are, they're going. But even the youths will faint and be weary. There will be a time when your strength, young folks, will dry up. And the young men shall utterly fail. If you live long enough, if you live to be my age and on up uh, older age than me even, uh, then, then you will ultimately fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. See, when I read verses like that, that empowers me. That empowers me to continue on in the way, even as tired as I am, as weak as I feel, as useless as I sometimes feel myself to be, I can be encouraged that if I'm waiting upon the Lord, my strength will be renewed. I'll be able to serve Him. Back over in Psalm 119, something else that the, the Word of God does is it will empower you to answer the enemy. Sometimes I struggle with the right answers when I'm faced with those that would challenge me on my beliefs or would challenge me on my actions, on what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But he says in verse 42, well, verse 41 to get the content. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. See, the word of God, mighty important, right? So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. That's all we have to trust in. I can't trust in my own abilities. I can't trust in my own knowledge. When I try to trust in the things that, I, you know, I, I, th I think I've told you this. It was a big thing when I was a teenager in, in high school to, to have a good comeback when somebody would, you know, they'd try to, they'd try to say something to you. They'd come, come in and, uh, they'd try, you know, they'd try to cut you down. That's what we used to say. I said, boy, he really cut him down, you know. But see, if I had a good comeback, then they, they, instead of talking about the guy that cut me down, they said, boy, he had a, he had a good comeback, you know. It was important that, well, I, you know, I always struggled with that. I had great comebacks, but they just were about a half a day too late, you know. Somebody come in and cut me down, and, and I'd think about a half a day later, two or three hours later, I, said, I should have said that, you know. I can't, I can't trust in myself to be able to, to give that right answer. But here it says, I will have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me if I trust in the word. See, I trust in thy word, and that's why I can have the ability to answer the enemy. So the Lord opens our eyes through his word. There's more to it even than this. So he also opens our eyes through his church. Through his church. Now what do I mean by that? Well, 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The ground is what you stand upon. A pillar holds something up for others to see, and the church is both. The church is both the ground of the truth, and it's also holding the truth up for us and others to be able to see it. Over in Psalm 48, I love this psalm because I believe it's directly pointing us to the church. In that, in that day, it was pointing uh, literally to the city of Zion, to Jerusalem, but in a figurative, foreshadowing way, it's pointing us to the church of the living God. Listen to chapter 48 and verse 12. Walk about Zion and go around about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. The church here, as described in comparison to the city of Jerusalem, to Zion, has some, has some different structures in it. It has bulwarks, which are walls of protection. It has palaces, which are places for the king's children to dine and to be educated. But look at this. It also has towers. It has towers. What what's the purpose of towers in a castle? The purpose of these high turrets and towers is that someone can climb up there and they can see farther than they could see if they were standing flat on the ground. They can, in other words, they can see the enemy coming from afar off. And that's what the church is. The church is a place certainly of bulwarks and of palaces, but it's also a place of towers so that we might see the enemy before the enemy sees us, that we might see the enemy before the enemy besieges us, that we might see the enemy before the enemy comes upon us, and we might be prepared for his assaults. See, the church is a way that God opens our eyes. One of the ways within the church that he does that is by his preachers. By his preachers. Now, you say, boy, this is self-serving. <laughs> You're trying to make yourself important to the church. Well, according to what I read in the Word of God, the preacher is important to the church. <laughs> the preacher and the pastor are important gifts 
to the church. Over in, listen to this, over in Acts chapter uh, 8, I believe it is. Over in Acts chapter 8, look at verse, uh, look at verse 30. Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. This is the story, as you know well, of the, of the Ethiopian eunuch who was traveling through the desert and God sent Philip down there through the Spirit and, 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 and the Spirit told him to go, go near to him. He was reading in Isaiah the prophet and Philip ran thither to him in verse 30 and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, now, let me make this as clear as I can. We are preachers and not popes. That means we are, we are fallible men. I am a fallible man. I am not a pope who, who is infallible in, the, uh, in his ability to speak the word of God. And by the way, there is no such person. <laughs> there is no such person. No, there is nothing on earth anymore but fallible men. But we're told... And we're going to turn there in a minute that there is a treasure that the church has been given and there's a treasure that the man of God has been given even though that treasure is in an earthen vessel and that is to be called as a minister of the gospel. Let's just turn over there and look right quick. Here, as you turn over to 2 Corinthians 4, just, just notice, think about what we just read. There's a purpose for having preachers. And it's not that you can't read for yourself and that you, you know, there was a time when, when, uh, when the high church, if you will, back in the Middle Ages, they didn't, want the, they didn't want the congregation to have the Word of God. They didn't want them to have a, the Word of God that they could read. They just wanted them to be fed it from the pulpit. Beloved, I, I don't want it to be that way. I want you to have your Word. I want you to have your Bible. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to study your Bible. And then, by the grace of God, maybe we can learn together as the Lord leads me in what to preach and leads Brother Buddy and Brother Tim and others and Brother John Morgan in what to preach. But over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's read, let's read verse 7 first. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence, excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, we're going to go back up and pick this up here in just a minute, but you're going to see he's talking about the ministry. He's talking about the call to preach here. And he tells us it's a treasure. And, beloved, I know it's a treasure. I know that whatever times I've ever been able to stand here and preach to you and it be true preaching, it's been a treasure. I don't mean that I'm a treasure. <laughs> I'm the earthen vessel. I'm the earthen vessel. I mess it up more often than I don't. There are times when I stand before you and mess it up. There are times when I stand before you and I try to preach to you and I don't feel the liberty of my calling and I don't preach like I have liberty. But there are times when I am able to do that. And when I am able to do that, believe me, it may be a treasure to you, but it is a greater treasure to me. Every preacher I know understands that. What a treasure it is to be able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so many times I get in the way, but the purpose of it being a treasure in earthen vessels, the reason he doesn't send down an angel to preach it, is so that we might always remember that the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. If I'm preaching tonight, you can praise God for it, not me. <laughs> if I preach ever, you can praise God, not me. <laughs> Backing up to verse 1, therefore seeing we have this ministry, the word ministry is the same word translated as deacon in other places. You know that a preacher is supposed to be a servant? Seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. It's sometimes hard not to faint as a preacher. There's a, there's a lot of times when I feel like just staying home and falling over and and sleeping it off, <laughs> and, and just, just uh, 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 giving up. There are times I feel that way. He said, and this is the way a preacher's supposed to be. He said, we faint not, and listen to this, this is, don't ever let a shyster fill this pulpit. Please don't ever let it. There'll be a day when I'm gone. Don't you, you be on the lookout for a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
Because look at this. This is what a true preacher, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You know what he's saying here? I don't have to play around with the words in order to preach the truth to you. As a matter of fact, if I'm playing around with the words, if I'm trying to manipulate them, if I'm trying to be crafty with the Word of God, if I'm trying to bend it to my own ends, if I'm trying to make it fit what I think and what I believe and instead of just letting it say what it says and mean what it says, then I'm not fulfilling the duty of a preacher. I'm not fulfilling the duty of a minister of the gospel. He says, it's by manifestation of the truth is how we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. I, I know you love me, and I'm so thankful for that love. But I trust that you do it because you believe I'm preaching you the truth. I, I trust that the reason you love any preacher that's... You know, we, we talked about Brother Ricky Harcrow. Man, we love Brother Ricky, don't we? <laughs> we love Ricky Harcrow. We love having him preach from this pulpit. But you know why? It's not because he's so amazing an orator or such an eloquent person or an educated man it's because he preaches the truth Amen. he preaches the truth to us and he preaches it in a clear and a simple way he doesn't beat around the bush he doesn't twist the word of god he doesn't he doesn't change it to fit whatever he wants he preaches the truth and i trust that's why we love these preachers all of us i trust that's why you love me and he goes on to talk more about the preaching and says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. See, it's a treasure. It's a treasure that we have. And, and the, it's a treasure because it enlightens us. It opens our eyes. Don't think your preacher, don't think your pastor can't have his eyes open. I've had some t many times when Brother Buddy's preached, Brother Tim's preached, Brother John Morgan and others have preached, when I've sat out there and said, man, why didn't I see that? <laughs> I needed my eyes opened. I needed to be reminded of the grace and glory of God who protects me from the enemy. Another way that he opens our eyes is by his people. By his people in the church. In Acts, the 18th chapter, we read about a husband and a wife who weren't preachers. The woman couldn't be. But in verse 24, there was a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, and it says he came to Ephesus. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. But look, he had a little problem, knowing only the baptism of John. This is a man who is fervent, has zeal, and listen, you young men, if there's any of you young men who the Lord stirs up a gift in, then zeal and fervency is important. And it's so wonderful to see that in the young men and, and even in the older men. But remember that sometimes we have to be instructed more perfectly in the way. And he only knew what he knew. He didn't know what he didn't know. Sometimes that's a problem. You know, if you knew what you didn't know, you wouldn't mess things up, right? <laughs> but he didn't know some things, and he needed to be taught some things. So I guess the only people that are qualified to teach a young preacher like that would have to be another preacher, right? It had to be an older preacher. You can't, you can't, you know, you sit there in the pew and you say, well, I can't help that young man. I can't talk to this person. I, I'm not a preacher. You know, how many times have we used that as an excuse? I did before I was a preacher. So, well, I'm not a preacher. I can't help this situation. No, listen to this. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, who are not preachers, they're not ministers of the gospel, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You know what that does to every single member of the congregation? It leaves you without excuse. <laughs> you don't have it. You say, well, I just have to defer to my preacher. Well, I hope you do seek counsel of your preacher. I hope you do listen to your preacher. But sometimes your preacher can be wrong. <laughs> sometimes your preacher can miss the point. And it's, it's appropriate and important that you study the Word of God so that you can instructs some others more perfectly in the way of God. And that's the way sometimes God opens our eyes. And finally, look with me over in 
Hebrews, the 10th chapter. 10th chapter of Hebrews. We're sort of, we'll bring this to a close. Remember how we started? There was a young man that needed his eyes open. He needed to be instructed. He needed to see some spiritual things. And we've seen that God initially opens our eyes by his spirit and, and, and goes on to guide us and open our eyes by his word. And now through his church, both through his preachers and through his people. And look at verse 25, or verse 20, um, 24 of Hebrews chapter 10. He said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Do you know there may be some in the church with more enlightenment than you have? There may be, I don't mean new, new doctrines, I'm just talking about more enlightenment on the word of god more enlightenment upon the events of the time around us and and it says here that those are supposed to provoke others unto love and good works and more and more so as you see the day approaching now i got a question for you how how are you gonna how are you gonna experience this if you're not here if you're not in if you're not in the church if you're not, you know, some say, well, I can serve him just as well out on the banks of the river. Well, you need to serve him there, but you need to get yourself in church because you can serve him better in church than you can anywhere else. Some say, well, y'all all time going to church. What are you, boy, what is, what's the deal with that? I'll tell you what the deal is. My eyes are open better and better the more I'm in church. You know, I struggle every week. I struggle like you do. I struggle with what's going on around me. I struggle with the problems of life. I struggle with my personal problems, not just the things going on in the world. You know where I find the most enlightenment? Among God's people in the house of God. I'm provoked to good works. I'm exhorted to do better. I'm comforted that God is the God who holds us all in the palms of his hands. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.